Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto, it's November 24th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. New Zealand musicians are facing a deathly silence. With the gutting of the magazine industry now well bedded in, many of the titles that once relished in telling tales of bands on the road have disappeared. Much of the coverage of music and arts and mainstream media has also disappeared. And this means artists must now compete on the virtual stages of international media juggernauts to cut through. Some acts are managing to find success in the worlds of YouTube, Spotify and TikTok, but this isn't the case for everyone. So what happens when the local buzz for pop culture grows silent? How do Kiwi artists get their voices heard? And who will step up to be the cheerleaders for the up-and-coming talent capable of placing Aotearoa on the global pop culture map? Today, on the front page, Chris Schultz, a long-time pop culture journalist who now blogs in his spare time on the Boiler Room Substack, joins us to discuss what happens when local artists can't cut through the noise. Chris, you've spent much of your career in journalism writing about pop culture and music, and now you're writing about the fact that there's no one to tell these stories. Can you talk to us a little bit about that shift? Yeah, it's the bleakest pivot ever. I don't think any journalist thinks they're going to spend two decades covering a topic only to switch up and start covering the fact that no one's covering that topic anymore. I guess I'm doing it because I see the gaps We used to have this kind of thriving music journalism scene. When I started, you could not only choose to be a music journalist, but you could choose kind of what kind of music you wanted to cover. If you wanted to cover alternative or hip-hop, you went to Real Groove magazine. If you wanted to do rock and pop, you went to Rip It Up. There were magazines for dance and electronica. And now those paths are no longer there. So for young writers coming through who want to write about culture, it's so much more difficult to do because those jobs don't exist. And then we're missing out on stories too. There's a lot of really good stories that would make headlines but are basically just being ignored. So, yeah, I wanted to do something about that, I guess, with the limited resources and time that I have, and that is my little substack. Now, Chris, you recently wrote in your Boiler Room substack about a Kiwi musician who was so desperate to get his album reviewed, but he literally couldn't find anyone in New Zealand to do it. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, you're talking about Rodney Fisher, the uh, lead singer in the band Good Shirt. He's he's a well-known face, thanks to, you know, his, his efforts in the early to mid-2000s. Everyone knows their big songs. He released a really good solo album, and I heard it, and I thought, this is great. I'd been kind of covering this topic of where were our music journalists. And I thought, why don't I ask him how this release has gone? And yeah, he sort of told me he hadn't been able to get anyone to cover it. There was kind of little bits and pieces here and there, but no kind of in-depth review. And I asked him how that felt. And he said, well, I want to hear what experts think about it. I want to hear what they have to say, because that sort of helps me grow as an artist. It helps me work out what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. And it it sort of also is an indication that he's achieved something. He's done something. He's put something out there. And if it's just crickets, then what's he actually achieved, I guess? Yeah, and I I have this conversation with a lot of people I just interviewed. The Wellington punk band Darts, and uh, I asked them when they last did an interview. And I think they released their first album about a year ago, and they said they did, like, one chat around that. They did a podcast in Melbourne a while back, but... 
that were kind of surprised <laughs> to see me rock up and want to talk to them because they just they don't do interviews. But they were delightful. They had a great story to tell. You know, I think that's the thing here. A lot of these artists have really good stories. And if you get the right journalist in front of them to pull those stories out of them, you can make that into something that's really readable and works for audiences, if you know what you're doing. This is Darts. We'll have a Fantastic. Bit of traditional Aotearoa <laughs> guitar song. Pre-colonial. Definitely. That's fantastic. What's that called? Yeah. Maori Hongi. That's just Maori <laughs> There we go. Yeah. We can do it again if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem here is that it's not only music. As newsrooms shrink, we're also seeing reporting on pop culture and the arts decline. How worrying do you think that is, Chris? Oh, massively. I do stress about it because you're right, it does seem like arts and culture reporters are the first ones to go as newsrooms shrink. We've certainly seen cuts recently at the Herald and stuff that indicate that to be the case. I guess I just wonder if they'll ever come back. That's my first concern, you know, like what does a writer, a young writer do if they want to write about music or TV or film? And those jobs just don't exist. You know, if you can't build a career, then we just won't have them. You know, I worry about the artists not getting enough exposure. There's this great singer called Ernie Bell. She released an album a couple of weeks back, her second album. It's incredible. It's so good. It's the kind of thing that would, in the past, have made cover stories for sort of arts and culture magazines. And I asked the publicist, you know, who's doing the deep dive? Who's doing the big story on her for this album release? And they were like, well, no one. She's got a couple of little things lined up. But no one was sort of sitting down to find out how that album was born and and what the story was behind it. And I have to catch myself i find it a little depressing you know i have to sort of just stop thinking about it i can't do too many of these kind of chats because it's thoroughly depressing while newsrooms are declining on the flip side we have more access to data than what we've ever had before so there is this argument that many stories in the local pop and culture and music scene simply don't attract as many eyeballs as those big international stories so what would you say to the idea that kiwis simply aren't interested in the stuff I just think that's rubbish. I spent 20 years working at Stuff and in the Herald proving that people do want to read this stuff. If those stories are told in the right way, smartly, intelligently, if there's real like thought and depth put into them, then absolutely people, I think, want to read them. Maybe that's my age showing a little bit. You know, I grew up with magazines and newspapers. There's nothing better to me than someone who's written 2,000 words and have spent weeks hanging out with someone to really get into who that artist is or what this TV show is or, you know, what this film's about and and to put it into context, you know, to contextualise it. I just think if those stories are told in the right way with the right headline, people do read them. I have to believe that's true. I know... The kids are on TikTok and Instagram. I get that. I understand that. You're kind of documenting culture. You know, journalists sort of are capturing a moment, right? Whether you are a political journalist or a sports reporter, there's a real concern there that if we're not capturing things, if we're not putting them into context, then we're not going to be able to look back and go, look what happened. This all started, by the way, because I wanted to read about these two music festivals that happened over two consecutive weekends. It was a listen-in and Eden Festival, and I just couldn't find any coverage of them. And I just thought, well, you can go back to the 80s. You can read about 
the old Sweetwaters festivals. You can go and read my old Big Day Out and Laneway festival reviews. That's all there. If we're not documenting it now, then we'll look back. We won't have a record of these things ever happening. I just, I can't imagine it happening with like All Blacks games or elections. You know what I mean? Maybe someone needs to stand up and point a finger and say, you know, this is a problem and maybe that needs to be me. Do you think this ultimately leaves us young artists to kind of compete by themselves on these massive platforms like Spotify and TikTok and Instagram to get any exposure? Totally. But some of them are thriving. I'm in no way saying that artists need journalists to break out. I can point to several artists who are making a lot of money thanks to the Spotify algorithm. Sempra and Little Bubblegum are two local death rappers who are just racking up millions of plays and they're doing extremely well. They don't need me to write about them. But then as a journalist, I'm like, that's a great story. How did they do this? You know, I did go out and interview those guys and it was a great story. They're touring America. They're selling out shows because of these Spotify algorithms. It comes back to that journalism thing, right? Is it a good story? If there's a good story there, it needs someone to recognize it and the journalist to go out and tell it. I guess that's what I keep looking for. Make sure to follow the front page wherever you listen to podcasts. And for top tips, stories, and the best of TV, books, movies, and culture, be sure to investigate the ups and downs of entertainment at nzherald.co.nz. The barrier to stand out on those big international sites is quite tricky, though. So how do you even get that additional exposure on those big platforms? And what do you think it says about the promise of technology to democratize access to information when you have these challenges of small artists in New Zealand just trying desperately to get people to listen to their stuff? There's two sides to that. For some of them who are making it work, like Sempra and Little Bubblegum, they're not going to be complaining. They're loving life right now. I guess if you're a young artist coming through and maybe you're not hitting those algorithms, then what are your other avenues to reach an audience? There's social media, but then also I, I just think there are people my age who kind of want to know what's happening out there and, and would read stories about these artists. They want to keep up with the state of things and maybe a publication, a news story would, would help with that and would help those artists too. Yeah, I don't know. Spotify is a big old mess. There's 800,000 songs a day being released on there trying to stand out as I would imagine nigh on impossible, but I take my hat off to those that are trying to make it work. It must be tough. The other thing is that there are still a lot of people working in this industry. So a recent report from the Ministry of Culture and Heritage says that arts and creativity contributes $14.9 billion to the economy every year, employing as many as 115,000 people. Do you think that this industry is vulnerable amid the dearth of interest in local pop culture? Not at all. No. This is what's blowing my mind, right? We're coming up to a summer that has more festivals more live shows, live events than ever before. And in my 20-plus years of covering it, I've never seen anything like it. I wrote a news story three years ago marvelling at the fact that we had 12 summer music festivals happening over the summer season. There are 80 music festivals happening over the next few months. Floor and Rhythm of Vines and Homegrown. Well, prepare yourself for Doug Fair. <laughs> Tell us the story. Why did you decide to run your own music festival? Why not, eh? Why not? Good for you. And I love this little twist. You can get in for free if yeah. what? If your name's Doug, you get in for free. You just have <laughs> yeah. to show ID. You can't have a Doug fest with one Doug. You've got to have more than one. 
We have stadium shows. We have the power station. Go and look at the power station schedule. There are small venues up and down the country rammed full of live events. It's come back post-COVID in just the most incredible way. And I guess what hasn't come back is coverage of it. It's absolutely booming out there. You, I just point to like Limp Bizkit selling out Spark Arena this Sunday night. 8,000 people are going to a Limp Bizkit show at Spark Arena this Sunday. That's a story. Like why? How is a new metal band from the early 2000s now suddenly selling out our biggest indoor venue? Jerry Seinfeld is selling $850 front row seats. That's a news story to me. And people want to read that. Yeah, no, the industry's not in any way in trouble at all. It's in very good health. I think what we're missing here is just a bit more coverage of it. What do you think it's going to take to actually ensure that these stories are told in the future? Do you think it'll require philanthropic intervention, donations, and that sort of thing? Or do we need backing from the government? Are these the only real possibilities? Yeah, that's the big question, right? Do we want this coverage? Do we need this coverage? I guess that's the argument I'm trying to make. I can tell you what's happening overseas in Australia. I think free street press is starting to make a very small comeback. In America, these kind of glossy niche publications, almost reader-supported publications, maybe like quarterly releases. There's one called No Depression that just covers Roots music that is just sort of reader-supported. I think it's been backed by someone with some deep pockets as well. They're working here. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe it needs to get worse before it gets better. Maybe someone does need to stand up and say, hey, we need a Metro-style magazine or we need a really great website. I, I kind of can't help but think about what the loss of the Herald's publication timeout means, where you have something that is distilling the week's events down into a really handy guide to what's happening in film, TV, music, arts, culture, run by, you know, smart people. I think a team of six used to put that together when I left in 2019. That was the case. And I think apart from it, like a few sort of one-off issues that hasn't really happened since COVID. Yeah, I do just wonder, like, if that's what we're missing here. Something, just a weekly thing that is sort of taking Spotify's 800,000 songs and all of those TV shows that hit streaming services and all of the films that are on at the movies and is sort of making sense of it all for people. In recent years, we've also seen the likes of Lord and Taika Waititi emerge as these international superstars. People like them spearhead the appeal for New Zealand and its people on a global stage. If the infrastructure that allows these cultural forces to bloom is demolished, because it comes down to telling their stories and telling it in a distinctly New Zealand way, if we lose that, are we also sacrificing the soft power that comes with that and the prominence of these artists on the international stage? I don't know. I think you can definitely still have an impact no matter where you are, thanks to these streaming services. And I don't think Taika needs journalists in New Zealand, you know, or, or the next Taika needs journalists in New Zealand. So if, if the product is good, it'll speak for itself. If the music is good, if the, if the movie's good, I think it's more like what are audiences here missing out on? Because to me, I always thought that entertainment writing should take something that is in the entertainment world and then make it entertaining in itself. It should be a standalone piece that is just a great read. You know, you take a topic, whether that's Duncan Greaves spending three months with Lord before she breaks big and then writing 16 pages in Metro magazine or whatever. Yeah, those stories just don't really happen anymore. Would it be harder for an artist to break on a global scale without them? I mean, hype's still a thing, right? You need hype behind you to book bigger shows, to get record label contracts. You need that hype, and that comes from a variety of places. That comes from streams, for sure. 
but that probably also comes from you know how much press you're getting it's self-fulfilling right like if an artist gets a story that's in the herald then a producer on rnz will see it and feature them and then someone on i don't know breakfast tv will hear that and go we should get them on the show and suddenly you know there's an artist who's suddenly getting all this press and there's this hype and this wave behind them and they've signed a deal and they're getting bigger and bigger shows i think that's something that would still happen if those tent poles were in place but they're not that's i guess what we need to wait and see what is going to happen? I don't know. Again, maybe it needs to get worse before it gets better. Chris, you've been writing your Substack now for a little while in your spare time on top of your day job. Do you think that these individual storytellers that are popping up online could hold the key to keeping Kiwi pop culture alive? Yeah, I guess that's what I'm testing the waters out with. My Substack's very much part-time. I don't have a lot of time to put into it. It's just sort of when I get a spare moment in my evenings and weekends. But if you look overseas, I think Substack doubled in size in the UK in the last year. A lot of smart writers are heading to it. You know, Jezebel, the feminist website in America, just went under and a lot of those writers are already on there. So it is an outlet for writers to find an audience and grow their own audience. I mean, I would love to be able to grow something that then gives a platform to younger writers coming through. I mean, that would be a dream. That was always a dream of mine to sort of mentor younger writers to see that new breed take over. You know, I never thought I'd be writing about music for my whole life. You know, you age out of it. You get other interests. Of course you do. I'm not up with what 22-year-olds are listening to. My tastes have changed. But I do want to read about what they're into and I want to hear from those new voices and If I can help maybe mentor them and give them a platform and it grows into something like that, that would be an absolute dream, but I guess time will tell. Thanks for joining us, Chris. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. I'm Damien Venuto. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and Paddy Fox. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.